This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 171 of Hibbley Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Man, what a long month. It has been, but man, now it's, it seems like everything's going to rush. Like, come quick. Like Christmas, Thanksgiving, everything. Yeah, but just from a standpoint of... Everything we had to do, especially this last week. This last week was probably the busiest week I've ever had in podcasting. <laughs> I mean, there were so many different shows and the Halloween stuff and then the Patreon stuff. And then we added the second episode this week and yeah, blah, 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 blah. Well, good for you, babe. You did a great job. So anyway, I want to start off, obviously, by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you guys and gals for everything you do in K-9 units. Absolutely. Guys are in our... Our thoughts and prayers. I know you can't be home for the holidays, but we haven't forgotten you, and we pray for you guys every day to be safe. Thank you for taking care of us. And definitely, with that being said, the mention of the holidays, it's probably the hardest time for anybody who suffers from depression, whether it's because they're in Tracy's situation, like she's coming upon Thanksgiving and Christmas for the first time since her dad passed. Oh, yeah, I did, and I actually cried a whole lot this morning. <laughs> So, I did, I did, so. And, and you know, she's just one of millions of people uh-huh. having those same feelings this time of year. So just realize that, you know, your loved ones, if they're not around, uh, they're in a better place. And though they can't be with you physically, they will be with you spiritually over these holidays. Amen. If you feel like you need somebody to talk to, you can always reach out to us. You can reach out to the group, or please reach out to a friend or family member. Um, but some people like to remain anonymous, so that you've got us if you want to kind of go that way. Or you can go to the Suicide Prevention Hotline here in the U.S., 1-800-273-8255, if you'd rather text. And we've heard a lot of people say this was definitely their preference, and they've mm-hmm. had success with this, 741-741. So. I mean, it's kind of nice, the text thing, because... If you start feeling low again, you can kind of go back and reference the text that you got. So we want to get a special thanks to Talbot Old Talbot Tavern last last week for having us out. We got to do a show for some people who hadn't seen a live show. A lot of them weren't regular podcast listeners, so hopefully we were able to entertain them. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But uh, Carrie, Charles slash Billy, Tanya, thank you guys for having us out. It was, it was fun. <laughs> you said so. <laughs> he had a bunch of names. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. There's there's a lot of people that you know by one name, mm-hmm. and, but they go by a different name to their family. But yeah, you yeah. You know, he I know him by Charles because that's what's on Facebook, and then but his whole family and everybody, all his friends call him Billy. So yeah. I, I didn't know any difference <laughs> until we got up there. But like I had a friend named Charles, and 
you know, at work, everybody called him Charles, but everybody outside of work called him Eddie. So I mean, oh. I'd have some people, hey, is Eddie there? I'm like, I, we don't have an Eddie who works here. Yeah. I mean, Charles. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, we got one of those. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun for sure. Okay. On the episode, let's jump into this. Okay. You know, we've done past lives episodes. Mm-hmm. We've had two of them and they have probably been two of the more, um, I guess we could say better received as far as comments mm-hmm. and people really liking it. I think there's something that just makes you feel good to know that this isn't the end when it yeah. actually, you know, when, when this life's over. So I think people like thinking about that. Right. So I want to do another one, but this one's going to be a little bit different because I tried to find some stories that had some different twists than like some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. The, other, the other ones kind of followed with the exception of like the Anne Frank one. Yeah. Most of them kind of followed the same path. Mm-hmm. These are a little bit different though. So I think you'll, you'll like what I did here tonight. The first one that we're going to start with is the shortest of the three stories. So I thought we would, you know, go ahead and put that at the beginning and go from there. So this story takes place in the 1980s in Connecticut. And we talked about in the past when it comes to reincarnation, birthmarks play a very significant role. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the, a uh, um, lot of Asian cultures and religions, they believe that if you have a birthmark, it's something to do with a past life. Oh, that's so cool. And we've talked about stories where kids would have a birthmark on their head, come to find out in their past life, or at least what they say is their past life, you know, they were hit with a hatchet in the head in that same spot. Or oh, well, that's the, not good. <laughs> whatever the situation is. So we got that with birthmarks, but what about birth defects? Mm-hmm. You know, so we're going to talk about Patricia Austrian. Uh, she gives birth in 1984 to her son, Edward. He's reaching close to the two years of age, and it's obvious that he was different than her other six children. On a rainy day, Edward would cry unconsolably. Oh, wow. And he would have a lot of anxiety. He would say that he was shot and point to his neck. Now, his parents didn't really comprehend what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so Edward was, you know, on his own, I guess, at this point, because he's telling them, but they're not They're not, not understanding. Edward was constantly sick as a little kid. He uh, had tonsillitis all the time, constant sore throats. And then in 1988, when he was four years old, his parents took Edward to a specialist. He was diagnosed with a, a very rare birth defect, it was called thyroglossal, on, on his thyroglossal duct, hmm. and it was a cyst. I was going to say, why didn't he just get his tonsils out? Well, we're getting to that. They said if this was left uh, untreated, that it could get infected and could cause death. Oh, my so gosh. So they were going to have to remove it, have surgically remove it. But first, they wanted to remove his tonsils, because right now, that's what was causing the infection. So two weeks later, he goes in to have a you know, his tonsillectomy done. Edward wakes up after the surgery and he tells his parents, Patricia and Donald, and Donald, by the way, is an internal medicine doctor. Mm-hmm. So this is from a family that's very well educated. Okay. okay? And, and they, they're more into the sciences than they are, you know, like uh, the religious aspects of reincarnation and stuff like that. But anyway, so he, Edward wakes up from the surgery. He tells his parents that... Uh, he wasn't going to need another surgery. What? This is the day that he wakes up from the tonsillectomy. He's not going to need the other surgery. 
which is odd because we already know he's got a cyst back there. Yeah. That, that's got to go. So that night he tells his mom that he was formerly an 18-year-old soldier named James. He didn't know what year it was or what war it was, but he was in a war. He was going through a forest one day, a rainy day in France. He was tired. He was cold. He was hungry. And the weight of his guns was kind of starting to take a toll on him, and it was really starting to hurt his arm because I guess he'd been carrying it so long. Yeah. He heard a shot from behind. A bullet ripped through the back of his neck and through the front of his throat. He said he could taste the blood. It tasted salty. He choked. He fell in the mud, and he died right there. Oh, my Lord. He's four years old at this time. Oh. His mom thought it was maybe a hallucinate, a hallucination from the medication. From the medication, yeah, from the anesthesia. Well, two days later, though, his dad Donald noticed something kind of odd that the cyst in the back of his neck had totally disappeared. <gasps> so he immediately called Doctor Steve Levine. He was the doctor that had just done the surgery and was was working on him. So the doctor checked him out. And he confirmed that the cyst was gone. Oh wow! He said this was highly unusual, and he expected it to come back. But it never has. So not only did his cyst disappear, but his whole demeanor and his personality also changed. He didn't cry during the rain anymore. He didn't get anxious when he was left all alone. But he did constantly keep retelling the story, though, of how he died in his past life. So perhaps Edward was healed from confronting his death in his past life. That is amazing. So see, that's a different kind of story than what the yeah. other Bless his heart. Aw. I mean, he had to go through that to find all that out. That's crazy. Now, this next one is kind of my favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. But I saved the other one for the end because I thought it was more heartwarming. So, okay. All right. So, the next story is, is amazing. It's got a twist. Wait for this twist at the end. So, this one started with the birth of a baby boy and uh, to the Ari family. And this was June 17th. 1972 in Vancouver, Canada. Actually, it's the Airy family, so I shouldn't say Ari. It's Airy. Airy, okay. <laughs> they might want their name pronounced correctly. Yeah. So Carol and Isaac Airy named their son Elijah. Now, this was something different. Uh, there was something different about his birth, though. He was perfectly healthy for the most part, but his feet were kind of twisted toward each other. Like bow-legged? No, it was just his feet. Oh. So picture... Picture sitting like if you were going to meditate. Uh-huh. And you're sitting down on the ground. You got your legs not crossed, but you got your the soles of your feet touching each other. Yeah. That's kind of how it was. The doctor assumed, or basically he just he just said, hey, we don't know what happens. It happens fairly frequently. It can be fixed. It takes some surgery and some braces, but it'll fix. Mm-hmm. The parents, though, kind of thought there might have been a little more to that because they had just recently converted to buddhism if you think about the image of buddha yeah because they do that right oh wow so they had just converted and they thought it might be a sign because this the day that he was born was a very special day in the buddha religion this was the day that buddha received enlightenment and therefore this was the day that the, it was reserved for uh the deepest respect so now the kid was born on this day he was born with um, the parents recently converting to Buddhism, and his feet were kind of as Oh, if, that is amazing. Like maybe he had been yeah. in the womb like that. Right, yeah. 
So the family moves to Montreal about two years later. They open up their own little Tibetan Buddhist center. Spiritual leaders, lamas, if you will, not the animals. Not the animal lamas. Yeah. <laughs> but the spiritual leaders, the, the lamas, they came from all over the world to this place. Now, one day in 1975, Elijah, who was almost three years old at the time, was hanging out. He took a special liking to one of the lamas that were visiting from Tibet. So he went into this room and just very quietly and very intensely just stared at him. Didn't say anything, just stared at the llama. That night, he tells his mom that he used to be a spiritual, or he used to have a spiritual leader. She said, oh, really? And she, he named the name oh, who gosh. the spiritual leader was. And it wasn't anybody there. It was just somebody completely different. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he described the room that he lived in, the, the single room that he lived in, wherever he was. Well... He started to talk in some strange language, and she thought, though she would 100% sure, it was Tibetan. He's three. <laughs> and she said he didn't know anything. He didn't know any kind of Tibetan or foreign language or any of that stuff. Oh, Lord, how could you at three years old? So they decided to consult with the Lama that he was so impressed with. The Lama listened to Elijah give several names of Buddhist monks. He wrote all of them down. The next day, this Tibetan monk was going to be heading off to a monastery in India, and he told the family that he would kind of research all the notes that he had taken, and he'd get back to them. He did say, though, that Elijah was a very special boy. Hmm. So Elijah's stories only became more detailed and uh, more incredible over the next few years. He said he was from a beautiful planet where the, where the mountains were the towering jewels. He then said that the trees grew there in very curious shapes, and the roads were long and dusty. Hmm. He said that he had no doubt that these places were real. He did not think that they were memories, but more like news, uh, news that he was supposed to report. At the point, or at this point, I should say, this is three years had passed, and there had been no word from the llama. Three years? Yeah. So when Elijah was six, he told his two sisters that he would show them this place that in their dreams. So they all dressed up real warm and everything, and they got in his bed, and they were ready for all this. Oh, gosh. And supposed- Does that really work? <laughs> supposedly it did. Supposedly it did. Later that, that year, though, finally, a letter from the Lama came. He said that Elijah was a former spiritual leader in Tibet in the 1950s and now had chosen to return. This is what they get from the, the monk. In 1980, the Dalai Lama, the infamous Dalai yeah. Lama, he was the spiritual leader of Tibet at the time. The main guy, just like the Pope would be for right. Catholics or what have you. And he decided that he was going to make a trip to the West for the first time. The one, Lama? Yeah, the, the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama did? So one of his first stops was to Montreal, right where Elijah was. His family decided that, hey, we got to get him out there to see the Dalai Lama. This would be cool. He's eight years old now. Mm-hmm. Elijah walks up to the Dalai Lama. Because it's just like going to meet the Pope. There's a long line. It's oh, not yeah. Like it's like hey, a little separate. It's just a long line of people. And he's got a white scarf that he's going to bring up to him because that's what's custom to give to the Dalai Lama is a white scarf. So everybody was doing that. He walks up to him. And the Dalai Lama stops. He points at Elijah and said... I know who you are. Oh, whoa. And by the way, his parents got a picture of him, of the Dalai Lama pointing (gasps) 
at him. It's a pretty cool picture. But he said, I know who you are. You're the reincarnation of Gishe Jonsei. So Dalai Lama assigned him a Tibetan named Tenzin Sherub. And he said, this is going to be your new name from this point on. Elijah then decided he wanted to learn everything about this uh, Gishe Jonsei. And he found out that he lived during one of the most tumultuous times in Tibet, especially when uh, the Chinese came and took over the country. And uh, he learned that he was this big-time scholar, a very religious man, and he had very many disciples. Wow. He said he was also a master of the art of debate, which in a Tibetan, it's a little different than we would think of, like a presidential debate or something. But this was something that, you know, it, it stood you out amongst your peers if you were good at this now, his parents or grandparents were very confused at how to handle this news as you could imagine their son's eight years old he was just recognized as one of the highest meditation teachers in, of tibet at eight <laughs> years old oh wow this child they had raised was was being told by others that he belonged to, the, to a different world he don't belong to you he belongs to us so the Tibetan leaders insisted that Elijah be returned to them. No. Yes. So they wanted to keep, you know, their family together, obviously, so they didn't just let this happen. But after trading letters over the next several years, they decided to give him over to the Tibetan people. But this was only after the Dalai Lama asked them personally to do this. Well, how old was he? Fourteen. Oh, man. His mom said it was the most difficult decision that they have ever had to make in their entire oh, life. Well, I can't imagine. But she said, you know, you, as a parent, you have to make decisions that you don't like. Right. And they just felt like that this was a higher power and he did belong to the world and not just to them. Now, at this point, Elijah's parents had separated, but they came together and they both made the same decision that this was the right thing to do. So in October of 1986, Elijah left for India to the Sira Monastery, home to 2,500 Tibetan monks. Elijah comfortably went right into their life, as if he had lived it his entire life. He was immediately at ease. His, um, His early experiences there at the monastery did nothing but confirm to everyone's beliefs that he was the reincarnation of Gishe Jonsei. How amazing is that? He even looked remarkably like like the man that he supposedly was reincarnated from. He learned to speak the Tibetan language in two months and was incredibly, incredibly at at memorizing very long, complex religious texts as if he already knew them or had a huge grasp of them. He also wasted no time in mastering the tradition of Buddhist debate which just convinced everybody there that, hey, this this guy is a standout, even though he's only been here three or four months. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he's showing up everybody who, in some cases, has been here years. He spent lots of time meditating and to truly determine if he was the reincarnation of Gishe Jonsei. But the Buddhists, they believe that in reincarnation, they've got thousands of cases that they, they say prove reincarnation. And after five years, he was convinced and he felt that he would, you know, was the reincarnation. But he also felt that he could do more if he wasn't a monk there at the monastery. 
He felt like he should be out amongst the people as a layman. He'd be more approachable. And he got approval from the Dalai Lama to relinquish his vows and um, return to a regular life. So he moved to Paris. He got married. He even played hockey on the weekends. He pretty much led a regular life. He still feels a uh, strange connection, though, to his past life. And he became a professor at a university Ah. uh, to where he could teach more about the Buddhist religion. That is a lot of stuff in his short life. (laughs) I mean, that's so, I mean, I can't even imagine having to give your kid up like that, even though it was for a good purpose. So then he, but after he was released from that, he was allowed to see his parents and all that stuff. I'm sure. And I I don't know to what level of relationship he had with his parents after that. Yeah, how weird. At this point, he would have been 19, 20 years old. Oh my gosh. I mean, just think of all that he's been through in his short life. That is great. That is really great. So I thought that was just like a really cool story. At least he was a good person. He wasn't like a... Right. You know. Yeah, he wasn't Charles Manson. Yeah, seriously. So the last story, and you know, before we get to the last story, I want to go ahead and do uh, our Patreon shout outs and stuff. So I'll let you go ahead and do that. There's not that many this week, so we'll be able to get through them pretty quick. Uh Uh-huh. There's a bunch. Well, I mean, overall. (laughs) Well, well, first of all, we'd love to thank you guys for your reviews and the Patreons for supporting us. We appreciate you guys more than you'll ever know. Um, Our iTunes reviews was Denise, David W., 815, McRoll. Dillard Farm 2. You know what? I wonder if that's 2. No, it's Dillard Farms. Sorry, my bad. Uh, Raider Nation <laughs> for Life. Jersey Diva. Laura. A Wood Ring 6706. Sarah W82 and WD40. Love you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, WD, we appreciate you making us not sound so noisy. So, yeah. Well, that didn't fix us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patreons is Allie Russell, Amber Chitwood, Elisa Flannery Hutchins, and Laura Grandmont. You guys are awesome. Thank you guys so much. We, I know we keep telling y'all, but you just don't realize how much these iTunes reviews and your support through Patreon help us mentally, especially with the iTunes reviews, because it makes my day every day. And we love you guys so much. Thank you. I did want to point out on one of the iTunes reviews, uh, somebody had mentioned on the Halloween episodes that some of the shows, like I guess on the, on the, the long one we did, that some of the shows didn't really quit, uh, fit in. Or and, and look, we totally get that. But I, we were saying something uh, a while back that, you know, we went got to go see ACDC six, seven, eight years ago. And they didn't have an opening band. But what they did do was give a local band an opportunity to like some kind of contest and they let an open band or a local band open up for them. And I remember thinking, man, if you're a local band, how cool is it to be able to come out here and perform in front of 25, 30,000 people right. that normally wouldn't have got to hear you? What kind of exposure would that do? And how much would that mean to your career? Um, and that's kind of what we do with this. So yes, we understand there's a bunch of different styles on those shows. And there's a bunch of those shows that are just starting out. So yeah, maybe their quality might not be as good as it'll be three, four, five, six months from now. But we they're all spooky shows or they're all horror related shows. So it fits in in that aspect. But yeah, there some of them are different styles and we know that. But we figure, you know, if we can get some of these shows that wouldn't have that opportunity to get in front of a little bit bigger audience 
that that's kind of our way of giving back. So that's why we do that every year for Thanksgiving. So hope you guys understand that not every show is going to be your cup of tea when you got 21 different shows on there, but um, they're only 10 minutes long. So you can just be patient and they move along. And, but that's the reason we do that. We plan on having a lot. I, I really wouldn't want to listen to anything three and a half hours of the exact same type of show. No, that would either. be extremely boring. I would think, <laughs> but that's just me. All right. So let's get back to the story. Are you prepared? I'm prepared. Don't make Our me, last story, are you going to make me cry? No. Okay. Uh, maybe. Oh. Our last story of the night takes place in England. Now, this is the story of Jenny Kokel. Jenny was a Protestant. Her families did not believe in reincarnation by any way, shape, or means. So the, at an early age, though, Jenny started having visions of a death. Now, this was when she was like five. She didn't have visions, though, that she felt like of a future death it was a past death oh because she at this time was born in 1953 and she was a normal child for the most part as far as anybody on the outside could see right but she had these horrible visions and she kept most of them to herself she would have visions of a young catholic woman in ireland with eight children she knew it was the 1930s she remembers that the woman's name was Mary, and she remembers her death vividly. Now, she said that she didn't know this was the 1930s until later in life. She said, now, as a little kid, when you see the different style of clothes, it doesn't register to you when you're five that, oh, this was from the oh, 1930s. Yeah. You don't know that. You just know that they look a little different than yours. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing that she knew at the time. But she said she remembered her death vividly. She saw a little drab hospital room with a single window. She said that she remembers looking at the body and not wanting to leave it. Jenny was five years old at the time she started having these dreams, and she would cry out after all these dreams, but her mom never really knew why she did all this crying. I guess she just never really shared it with her. She said the first clue that, that gave her some kind of inkling that something was happening was one day after um, Sunday school. She told her mom that, hey, Sunday school, they kept talking about what it was like in the afterlife and what it would be like in heaven, but nobody said anything about what it was like in their last life. Huh. <laughs> she said, I guess that's just one of those things that grown-ups just don't talk about. So her mom was astonished by this. Jenny would sit by the fire as a, as a young girl, and she would draw pictures of a two-room cottage by a stream. She said there were two oval pictures on the wall, the living room wall. One was of a woman and a small son, it's a black and white picture, and the other of a soldier. She would also draw maps of what she thought her town was. She would draw the streets, what was on the corners. Oh, dang. But she didn't know the name of the town. She just knew what she was seeing, and it was in Ireland. So she kept looking at the maps of Ireland that she had just and in general map with all the cities. And she, she said that this little town called Malahide just kept standing out to her for some reason. She was about six or seven years old at the time she was starting to draw these maps. It's important to point out that Jenny's stories never changed. They were always the exact same thing. And she said that the death didn't bother her at all. It was leaving the eight kids. Aww. That bothered her. She knew each one of them by name, by face, and by personalities. Wow. 
she feared that, you know, what in the world would happen to him if she was gone and being a responsible parent, that's all that was on her mind and the death just was no big deal to her other than that. Her memories never went away as she got older and you would think that in a lot of these cases as kids get older, these things go away. Mm -hmm. Remember we talked about a lot of times two and three years old is when most of these things start coming out with kids. She, I mean, she obviously had this big desire to go to Ireland and try to find something out, uh-huh. but she couldn't ask her parents to take her to Ireland. Right. They were poor. They didn't, you know, have a lot going on. So she had to wait till she got later in life and she got married and had two kids. Uh-huh. Then she was finally able to afford it. So you can imagine how many years down the road this is. In the spring of 1980, remember she was born in 53. Mm-hmm. So we're, Oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah. In the spring of 1980... She took her hand-drawn map to the library, uh, and she found a map that closely resembled the hand-drawn map she'd had as a child. I can't believe she still had that thing. She was consumed with this her yeah. whole life. This little map was in a city called Malahide. Oh. The same city she had picked out earlier, just from the map of Ireland. She then went to a hypnotist. And a hypnotist worked with her, did some trans uh, life regression therapy. And all these memories that she had now became even more vivid and were right on her the forefront of her mind, where some of them had started to fade a little bit. In 1989, nine years later, she went to Malahide. She found a bunch of the things that she remembered throughout the streets. She said it was like she had been in this town several times before, mm-hmm. even though she had never stepped foot in it in this life. She found the stream. She found the Catholic school that she had went to. She eventually found the crumbled remains of the cottage that she once lived in. No, She was, had to go through, back through a field and everything, but she found it. Everything was exactly where it should have been, according to her memory. She then learned that a woman named Mary Sutton did, in fact, live in that cottage that she used to be in. When she died in 1930s, her children were sent to various orphanages. Oh, that's terrible. In her mind, though, some of these kids should probably still be alive, though. Mm-hmm. So she placed one ads stating who she was, who she was looking for, not why that she thought she was reincarnated, but she wanted to find these Sutton kids. She puts them all over the newspapers, and she sent letters to all the orphanages looking for any kids at, at that time mm-hmm. that would have been named Sutton. She eventually found uh, Mary's marriage license and the kids' baptismal records. So this went a long way in helping what she was trying to do. She knew she was getting close, so she started thinking about how she would approach these kids if she does come across them. Mm-hmm. What is she going to say? Yeah. How, how odd is this going to sound? So she tracks down Mary's oldest son, Sonny. It's a nickname. I can't remember what his real name is, but his mm-hmm. nickname is Sonny. He was 13 when his mom died. So she figures he should still have some vivid memories of his mom. She calls him up and she says, Sonny, (laughs) I've been dreaming of your family since I was five years old. Mm -hmm. Sonny said, well, ma'am, I know it's rude to ask a woman your age, but how old are you? Mm -hmm. She said 39. And he thought for a second. He said, well, that means that my mom died 21 years before you were even born. So Jenny, knowing that 
this sounds pretty weird and he's right now not buying any of it because mm-hmm. now it's not making sense. She just starts mentioning some of her memories. Mm-hmm. And the main one she talked about was the two pictures in the oval picture frames. Mm-hmm. This sent a chill down Sonny's spine. Now, Sonny's an old man at this time. He's like in his 70s. Oh, really? Yeah. You got to think, she's 40 years old. Oh, that's and true. And mom passed away 21 well, years yeah. before that. Yeah, that's true. And then he was 13 when she, so. Yeah. After the call, Sonny was white as a ghost, he said. And uh, he, his wife said she came over and, and said, hey, what was that all about? And Sonny said, I think I've just been talking to my mom. <gasps> so Jenny and Sonny decide that they're going to meet each other. And they would kind of share some memories and see where it went. Well, here's the deal. Jenny would start a memory, but not remember the rest of it. And Sonny would know the answer. Like, for example, she said that uh, she she could see herself on a small pier waiting but she didn't know what she was waiting on. And Sonny said she was waiting for him to finish caddying at a golf course. Oh, my Lord. Then she said she saw herself standing in front of the cottage wrestling with a mattress. <laughs> and she said, but she didn't know why she was outside wrestling with a mattress. And Sonny told her that once a year they would they would have to take the chaff that was inside the mattress. This was back during they would stuff them with hay or oh. feathers or whatever. She said that they would have to stuff the chaff on the mattress once a year and then it was bigger, so they struggled getting them through the front door afterwards, and plus they were heavier. What? So, so she remembered both of these things. Oh. But didn't know why, and he knew the answer. How to why. cool. Whoa. So Jenny was happy. She finally could make sense of her memories. After yeah. 39 or 34 years. Four years, she yeah. Five, she finally knew where all this was coming from. And with the help of Sonny, she was able to track down the five surviving siblings. So that means two of them had passed. But after 60 years, the family was back together. <gasps> you mean they hadn't seen each other all them years? No, Sonny had waited, uh, had been wanting to reunite with his siblings for years, but he didn't know how to do it. He couldn't, didn't know how to track them down or any of that. And it took the help of his reincarnated mother to finally get the whole family back what together. What in the hell? So that's, uh, our, that's our story for this week. I thought That it was makes really me good. so happy. That is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. So, see, I thought those three stories were all significantly different than the other past. Yeah, they all had unique twists. Yes, one ends up going to become a Tibetan monk, a monk, a Tibetan monk (laughs) across the country. The other one ends up reuniting a whole family that she was once the mother of. Oh my gosh, that makes me like seriously want to cry. So, wow, pretty cool. With that being said, that ends us on this one. But this week and on our website, we now have all the tickets for the live shows available. Mm-hmm. And and before we even had them put up, we've sold like 10 tickets. To I know. Shows. How amazing is that? So you guys rock. Louisville, Indy, Gettysburg, Chicago, Savannah, Charleston. Two shows at Bobby Mackey's. I want to mention this Bobby Mackey's thing again because... I just don't want there to be confusion. When you go to the website, there will be two sets of tickets for Bobby Mackey's. They are the exact same day, same show. The difference is one of them is $25 and you get a tour with it. The other is $10 and there is no tour. You just you get to come in and sit and watch the show. You'll watch us. You'll listen to the uh, 
uh, Gatekeeper Paranormal will tell you the history of Bobby Mackey's. So you're going to get a nice little two-hour show. But at the end of that, Tracy are going to hang out downstairs, and y'all can hang with us, and then everybody else will go do their tour. So, But if you just want the show, it's 10 bucks. If you want the tour, it's 25 bucks. Sounds good. So just make sure when you go buy your tickets, you buy the right ones. Yeah, yeah. Because there's only 50 seats available for mm-hmm. the tour. And if you accidentally buy the wrong one, it would probably be hard to fix at the end. Yeah. That thing sold out extremely quick last year. Uh-huh. It did. So. It was fun, too. But, yeah, it's going to be so much fun. We're going to have such a fun October. Savannah, Charleston, Halloween, and Bobby Mackey's. Very cool. And it all kicks off in April. So, like I said, don't wait to buy tickets if uh, they make great Christmas gifts. If you know somebody who wants to uh, wants the gift of going to a haunted location and having some fun and hanging out with a bunch of people, there you go. And most of these shows, too, we added uh, we added a fourth show. And when I say fourth show, fourth podcast, at most of these. The Louisville show's got five. Yeah. But, uh, like, Savannah has only got three. It's it's us. I know Savannah's got four, but Charleston's only got three. But for most of them, you got four shows at least. So it's going to be pretty cool. So thank you guys so much. Uh, remember, that I put, put t- uh, what bit, hoodies are back on sale, by the way. Mm-hmm. All hoodies, men's and women's, are on sale in the uh, website. So go there. You can get tickets there. You can get merch there. Whatever you want to get. Christmas is around the corner. Don't forget. <laughs> love you guys. Talk to you soon. We love you all. Have a great week.